Hello and welcome to ESP Podcast 48. Hey folks, uh, what's going on? Uh, things are, as usual, pretty busy. And uh, just starting to really uh, sit down, work out some ideas for 2018 and work on some podcast stuff. And in the process, I realized a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, I needed to update my software. So had to go out and purchase some new software. So I hope, hoping uh, by the end of the year, we can recoup some of those costs with some donations. So if you definitely love this podcast, want to support it, you can head on over to www.espanswers.com and you can hit the donate button. Uh, however, had a uh, good opportunity to sit down and chat with Todd Wells recently. And uh, if you're not familiar with the news, Todd Wells recently announced his retirement, although he'll be retiring in a few more weeks. He's got a few events to do. But uh, it was a good opportunity to sit down with a guest that I've had on in the past and and be able to kind of talk about things. And I hadn't listened to the old podcast, so there's a little bit of overlap there, but I did get a chance to talk with Todd about his plans for the future. And of course, we did talk about training and a couple other things. So I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, for me, it was a little bit poignant because although I wasn't at the third national championship that Todd had won, uh, I was at his first, and it was actually the first race that I've I actually seen him race in, and that was the 2001 Cyclocross National Championships in Baltimore. And if you are a fan of cyclocross, that was one of the races you wanted to be at. The field was stacked. You had a, a rather youthful Jonathan Page. You had Team Saturn there fielding. Not only Frank and Mark McCormick, both uh, national cyclocross champions themselves, you also had Tim Johnson there. So really, really exciting uh, race to watch. And here you had Todd Wells coming out, bunny hopping barriers, things that, that, that we in America had never seen before, and just really enlivening the race. So it was cool to be able to sit down and talk with Todd again as he wraps up his career, and I really appreciate him taking the time to do that. So I am going to actually take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to revisit my 2011 interview with Todd Wells. Stick around. going off-road, and we're going to be talking with one of America's premier cyclists. For, for those of you not familiar with 
uh, the cyclocross scene and the mountain biking scene. You're missing out on a great talent. Uh, Todd Wells is probably one of the best cyclists that we've seen in the last decade. I, I ran across Todd back in 2001 when he bested some of the most experienced cross riders at the U.S. Cyclocross Nationals in Baltimore, Maryland. But this year, Todd capped off a fantastic season. Uh, whereas one guy might hope to win just one national championship in a single season, Todd managed to pull off three, winded down the season in 2010 with a third national championship in the Cyclocross Nationals and breaking the stranglehold of the Cyclocross Cannondale Riders to go with it. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, why don't, why don't we uh, go back first to 2010, and uh, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about the national championships? I know going in, you were considered a dark horse, and I remember reading that, and, and I re remember thinking Todd's been racing well this season, but you know, he he had a crash a couple weeks ago, and, and you know, a lot of people weren't sure how you were gonna do. But uh, you know, coming into the race, I, I remember watching it, and it was just like right right kind of from the gun you know there was like one guy and i couldn't recognize who it was and then you know you kind of came into view so, so it was pretty exciting why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, uh cross championships from your perspective sure heading into the uh cross nationals i didn't have the best buildup. i had a, a pretty good crash at the usgp round in mid-november in fort collins where i hurt my leg and that kind of put a little bit of a uh, hiccup into my preparation. I like to take a break between the mountain bike and cycle cross season, which means I kind of sacrifice the beginning of the cross season in hopes of being good towards the end. And having that additional break there kind of in the middle, I was worried. But um, I knew I was coming into good form the weekend before in Portland. I had some good results, although still not quite where I'd hoped to be. I was riding around third or fourth instead of uh, first or second. But I knew from the previous year I had won uh, the Portland GP the week before, one of the races, sprinted with powers and got second the next day. And I didn't end up doing well at national, so I knew, you know, just because I didn't do as good as I had hoped the weekend before, that I could still have a great national. And things just kind of came together for me in nationals. Um, the course had been really wet leading up to the um, elite event, there's probably maybe a thousand people um, altogether, amateurs that race for the national title the few days leading up to the, uh, the, to the elite championship. So the course goes through a lot of changes. It started, I, I believe there was some snow on it, then it turned to just water. There were huge puddles, and finally by Sunday, the course was starting to get chewed up, and it was getting slippery. It was getting heavy. Um, so it was becoming more of a power course than a speed course. And I feel like for me, coming from the mountain bike side of things, I do better on those power courses than the pure speed courses. So, um, you know, the course conditions were favoring me, and we ended up having a beautiful day. Um, weather temperatures were probably in the 50s. They had been as cold as, I think, 25 earlier in the week. And had a pretty good start, not the best, was able to bridge across to Powers. Um, by the end of the first lap, we rode together for a few laps, and I tried to attack him a couple times, but couldn't get rid of him, and then he he wound up uh, crashing kind of midway through the race. That gave me the gap, and I was able to hold on for the rest of the uh, 
rest of the hour-long race, probably rode by myself for about 35 minutes that day and had Ryan Trebone chasing me down um, 15 seconds back the whole day. So I couldn't ease up one one bit. I'd had um, two national titles previously that year in the mountain, or this past year in the mountain bike side of things, and it was pretty easy. I I had good form. I felt really strong, and I was able to just kind of ride my own pace, whereas at this cyclocross national championship, I was just on the rivet the entire time trying to hold off to bone, and it was one of my most painful days of racing all year. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you it's definitely one of the mo most exciting uh, cross races to watch this past season. And to kind of see you come in, a, why, watching you throughout the race, I know a lot of people had talked about how, how, how clean you were on the course and, and being able to kind of pick the lines. How, how do you approach that? And I know probably coming from a mountain bike background, you've got a certain skill set, but, but how do you approach you know, say you, you get to the course in the morning and you guys really try to dial in that course. You try to dial in the tire pressure. What, what is it that you do and how do you approach the cornering, but whether or not you're going to run certain sections or ride them, how does that go for you? Sure. Well, Nationals is a somewhat unique event for me because after a full mountain bike season, I try to get to the cross races as late as possible. So I don't usually have as much time to do preparation. But for the national champs, it seems like I'm always there. I get three, four days in advance this year. Um, actually, the past two years, having the previous weekend's race in Portland and then the finals in Bend, I always spent the whole week there. So I'm able to get in a lot of time on the course and um, great support. I have my mechanic there the whole time, Myron Billy. And we just go through and test different tires. I'll run them at different pressures. I want to, um, you know, with the equipment now, the way it's getting, and for cyclocross as well, we have these um, Zip 303 wheels, which are pretty much indestructible. So I'll run really low tire pressure. We also had some new specialized prototype tubular tires for this cyclocross uh, national championship, and they had a special flat protection in between the casing and the tread, which a lot of tires don't have. And so... I knew that I could run those things as low as I wanted, and I probably bottomed, bottomed them out about four or five times per lap. The bend course had a lot of hidden rocks and um, sharp-edged things, but for me, that you couldn't see, actually, because it was covered in a, a soupy mud consistency. Um, but I knew that I was going to be okay with that, and I just ran a low enough pressure that I was able to hook up in the turns. But another thing is, you know, you show up to the course on – Thursday and it's completely different than it is on Friday Saturday and by right. the time the elite race rolls around I've busted out I don't know how many laps probably 15 laps I've done a bunch of laps at race pace I know which sections are going to be hard um, physically mentally I know where it's going to hurt the most so I feel like that is also a big benefit um, knowing that and then one thing I find with the national championship races and also some of the muddier um, USGP races is that when the, you have so many people riding the course, the, the center of the track, almost all the lines get chewed up. And when the mud becomes heavy, you know, finding a line that is faster through the mud is so important. So I'm always riding the edge of the tape. I'll be riding in the grass as long as I can against the tape. And then when the poles, um, 
or out there, I'll jump back in, dive back into the course so I avoid hitting the pole, and then I'm back leaning on the tape. And just finding that firm ground, you know, it makes a huge difference. Someone can be riding flat out through the mud, and you can go with half as much effort on the side of the course sometimes yeah. and go faster than them. Cool. Well, yeah. as far as the cyclocross season works, you, you said you come out of the mountain bike season. I think for a lot of the guys that are cross specialists, uh, they're mainly road guys, and then they're coming into the cross season, and they're and they're they're already prepping. But you you've got this mountain bike season; it kind of just flows into the cross season. And, and I know you you got a really late start, or at least it seems that way when you're when you're you know reading races and 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 watching races and the cross season is just starting early and earlier every year and it's like you know when is todd wells going to show up you know it's like i was thinking that this year was like hey you know where's todd wells yeah um you know like you said there are a lot of guys racing domestically on the road that have really focused on cross we see now tim johnson is just um strictly racing cross no road but i feel like the cross season in the beginning definitely favors the road guys, the domestic guys. Um, they're not traveling much internationally. They are traveling a lot domestically. But in the in a road scene, too, you can kind of pick and choose your battles. You can one day, if you don't want to train or if you want to take the race easy, you can sit in the group. You can get bottles. You can go in a break for the team and pull the plug when you get caught. On the mountain bike, it's just like a cross race. You race flat out the whole time, and people want to know what place did you get at the finish. So um, I feel like more than anything, the road, it, it's just, I don't, I don't want to say less pressure, but and the guys are definitely working hard, but it's just a different type of effort when you don't have to say I finished 75th today or whatever. I just rolled in in the group. Whereas the mountain bike, it's constantly like, what place were you? What place were you? And then in addition to that, the earlier the cross season starts, generally the better the weather is and the faster the races are. Like we see cross Vegas, I don't know what the average speed is, but I bet you it's close to 20 miles an hour, maybe more. And so it really favors leg speed. It favors road racing type effort. Whereas the mountain bike, we, we climb up the hill in our 27, 36 gear, grunting at a, you know, at a steep pitch, at a high altitude. It's just two completely different type of efforts. And I feel like by the time I start to come into the season, the races are starting to get a little muddier. The weather changes, the ground freezes and thaws, and that plays to my strength as well. Well, I know that a lot of people, um, particularly people that follow you, are usually disappointed because you, you usually have a good cross season. Uh, you're a three-time national champion, uh, but you've avoided cross worlds. And I know this year you, <laughs> you you specifically said the last time I went to worlds I had a terrible mountain biking season, and you know that's kind of your goal. Where where do you see uh, cross kind of fitting into your career, and do you see the worlds coming back in uh, to focus anytime in the next few years? Definitely. I've always thought of myself as a mountain biker first and a cyclocross racer second. But it's funny, I've had some of my best results on the cyclocross bike where I really wasn't focusing on it the way I do the mountain bike. And um, now with Worlds coming to Louisville it, and cyclocross growing in the U.S., the sponsors and the teams are more interested in cyclocross. Guys can make a living just racing cyclocross. It gets a lot more media attention. 
So it's something that I've always loved to do. And now I'm going to try to, um, I'm definitely going to try and make that Louisville team just because you want to go to the Worlds now in the U.S. doesn't mean you're necessarily going to make the team because we have a, a great group of guys racing right now. And there's a lot of up and comers, young guys that are, uh, you know, right on the heels. They're getting faster every year. And it's going to be a real fight just to make the team. And I think it, it speaks volumes for how much uh, cyclocross in the U.S. has grown. It wasn't long ago that the McCormick brothers were the only ones racing in Europe, and uh, those guys would go to world champs and get lapped. Now we have Jonathan Page getting a silver medal. We got, you look at the results, Johnson and Powers and all those guys are finishing just a handful of minutes down, and uh, it just shows the depth of U.S. cyclocross right now. Yeah, I would definitely agree because when, when I started racing cross, that was back in, oh, God, 94, 95, and it was fun. It was low-key, and every year it kind of grew a little bit more, but, but I think re really like the late 90s, early 2000s, cross really started to pick up steam, and you could see every year sequentially it was just like, bam, you know, the speed went up another notch, then it was another notch, and now – I, I, it's so critically important that 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 you kind of get your training right and you time things right and, and you get your start right and it's uh, the start line is uh, you know re really really important. How 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 do you prep? Because I know with with mountain bike racing, not necessarily getting the whole shot, but but you don't want to get stuck back in traffic. Uh, do you, you find that there are a lot of similarities with the cross starts and in the mountain bike starts? Is it more is it more akin to the short track circuit, or how, how's that kind of work? Yeah, I feel like, you know, for cyclocross, the mountain biking is much more similar to start than, say, the road. On the road, you kind of roll out generally, unless it's a time trial, um, get going slowly, whereas the mountain bike, it's just like a cross start. The only difference is with mountain biking, generally you start and then you go up a climb, so you have to, you want to get out there fast, but you don't want to give too much because you still got to go up the hill for a few minutes. Whereas cyclocross, it seems like you can give everything because you go for a couple hundred meters on the pavement and then you can make a sweeping turn, coast a little bit, regroup. So the cyclocross, it's almost like a mountain bike is fast, but cyclocross is even faster. Right. Along those lines, how do you see the training being either similar or different between cross and, and mountain biking? Because I know, like, right now, you're you're in your base training period, getting ready for the mountain bike season. What do your training weeks look like for, say, a, a, a typical cross race week versus, you, you know, when you're on the mountain bike circuit? Sure. The, the, um, the training between the races is pretty similar. Um, mountain bike. Usually we only have one race. Sometimes we have two per weekend, but it's generally longer. Cyclocross, we usually have two races per weekend, a little bit shorter. So I find that the majority of the time between week to week, I'll have a bit of rest um, the day or two after the race, try to fit in a short workout during the week, and then I'm just opening it up and getting ready for the race. So the week-to-week -week training is pretty similar. It's more the building periods that are a bit different. For the mountain bike, um, I don't, they're still fairly similar, but the mountain bike I tend to do longer efforts than for cyclocross. Um, and just a lot of times the 
for instance, this year at the mountain bike national championships, they were a high elevation. So I had a specific elevation training before that. And then cyclocross races are generally sea level. So I'll just do a bit more explosive training for cyclocross than mountain bike, although mountain biking is also becoming more explosive of a sport. They're trying to keep the race times to about an hour 45 now. The laps are 15 minutes long, so we don't have those really long climbs. But I'd say the biggest difference is the amount of food I can eat during one season to the other. Cyclocross, there's no hills, so I feel like I don't have to watch what I eat so much as I do during the mountain bike season. Interesting. And I know that training has changed a lot over the last 20 years. And when I started racing back in 1991, um, you know, if you wanted to be a mountain biker, you you just rode your mountain bike. And if you wanted to be a road rider, you rode your road bike. And, and it really got to the point where it's like a lot of mountain bikers started doing a lot more training on the road um and then now it's kind of some guys it's kind of like a mix again how how do you train how much training do you do on the road or you know do you mainly do a lot of training on your mountain bike sure i i find myself i usually do about 60 to 70 percent of my training on the road and then 30 to 40 percent on the mountain bike it depends on where i am Right now, I'm training down in Arizona for the winter, and I'm doing a lot of long, steady miles, and the road is more conducive to that. During the summer, when I am when I have short rides, just trying to recover between races, I'm home in Durango. There's trails right out the door that are, you know, you can ride rolly trails or climbing trails, technical, smooth. I find myself um, riding the mountain bike more. So it, a lot of it depends on the time of the season. And... Um, yeah, like you said, the mountain bike training has changed dramatically. We used to race to the top of ski resorts and bomb back down the hill, and we'd climb for 30 or 40 minutes straight, descend yeah. for 10 or 15, and do it again. Now we climb for two minutes, descend for 20 seconds, climb for another minute. It's so much different than it used to be. Yeah, it, yeah, I definitely remember the um, uh, the races that I did when, when I, was, I was a junior. It was exactly like that there was some some small ski resort uh you know and you went up and you came down you went up and came down then the downhill races that they did it was usually started at the top and and they had a slightly different track and you came down and that was downhill racing it's just it's changed so completely um in even like the last i think five to ten years now you say you spent about 60 or 70 percent on the road from your perspective if you had somebody who was getting into mountain biking what would you recommend that they do as far as trying to improve their mountain biking skills and how do you really improve your your skill on the mountain bike particularly with uh the fairly technical sections yeah well that's another thing that's been changing a lot on the World Cup level for mountain bike racing, Olympic distance, where you're racing about an hour and 45 minutes on a short loop track that you do maybe eight laps on, they've been incorporating these super technical downhill sections. And there they have chicken lines, they call them, around these downhill sections, which take a little longer, and your teammates harass you incessantly if you take the line. So it's better to just go for the fast line all the time. But these lines are so technical, and they're almost like, they're not so fast. It's almost like trials where you're picking your way down these rock gardens. Um, so I find the best way to train for that is just to ride technical sections on my local trails. A lot of times in the past, I've, I wouldn't say I've 
avoided them because they're technical, but if it's a section that's kind of gnarly, I'll just get off and walk if I'm training at home or something. And now I seek out those sections and ride them over and over again because I know that I'm going to encounter stuff at least that hard on the race scene. So I look for those technical sections and try to simulate certain courses um, being comfortable on those sections. What are some tips that you would have for somebody who's trying to really master those sections? I think back because I quit road racing in 2005 and, and now I'm doing the Xterra racing scene. And so I'm, I'm back to mountain biking. And, and mountain biking was never my strong point. I raced a lot of cross, but, but, but again, try, trying to master the technical aspects of mountain biking, what, what are some of the things that, that a rider can really look at and, and be honest mountain biking? I think when, uh, when you're trying to eliminate mistakes, I mean, what are, the, what are the tips that you have for somebody who's trying to really get better technically? Well, I'd say spending more time on your mountain bike in general will make you better technically. If you have a big engine, say you come from the road where fitness usually isn't the problem, then usually it's a technical skill problem. Spending, if you ride, you know, two days a week on your mountain bike, maybe ride three or four. If you usually ride some easy trails or if you train with people that you're pretty similar in ability with, it's great to go out there and train with someone that's better than you. I know for myself, when I go out to pre-ride these World Cup courses, I always go out with my teammate, Burry Stander, who's he's 22 years old and he's fearless and he's a great rider. So we come up to these sections and he doesn't even look at them. He just goes for it. And so riding with him, following someone that's better than you, you tend to ride better than you think you can and you tend to ride faster. So that's one thing you can do. In addition to that, the equipment nowadays, for instance, these 29er bikes with the bigger wheels effectively make these rocks and drops and everything that much smaller than with a 26-inch wheeled bike. So I feel like as the bikes and the suspension gets better, you become a better rider just by having this new equipment. What about from a technique standpoint? If there was two of the biggest technique mistakes that a uh, newer rider or even somebody who's who's been riding a while but 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 what are those two top mistakes that that you find uh, riders make when they're riding a te- technical section i'd say too much front brake is usually a problem again nowadays the obstacles are getting more severe i used to i came from a bmx background so i would like to jump off things if it was a steep drop or um, a ledge, a rock I was going to ride off of, I would try to almost wheelie off it and go flat. But now they're putting these drops and a short flat section and another drop, so I'm finding myself having to crawl down these faces. So not using too much front brake, getting way back uh, behind the saddle so your weight is as far back as possible is big, and looking ahead on the trail. If you're going through a a medium speed section and you're focused on what's right in front of you, you're not going to be ready for what's coming up. So I always try to look ahead on the trail as far down as possible so I'm ready. You know, I can deal with what's in front of me because I saw it half a second earlier and I see what's up ahead of the trail, so I'm just more prepared for it. That's a really great tip because I I actually – a couple years ago I picked up a a book that Brian Lopes wrote. It's a lot of what he talked about. And it was a great book, but 
there is a problem when you're actually reading a book and, and trying to talk about dynamic skills. So, you, you know, a two-dimensional picture is difficult to translate into, you know, to trail riding. But, but a lot of the, uh, the techniques and a lot of the things that you just discussed, that's, that's exactly what's usually told to people. You know, got to really watch the braking. I see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of new, newer riders that, that will ride with me. And, and uh, you know, the, I guess your instinct is to go slower because you feel like you have mo more control. But in order to get over something, you've actually got to have a fair amount of speed. And if you don't have enough speed, you're not going to get over it. So um, Exactly. The faster you go, generally the better things work out. You have, you know, you carry your momentum better over the rough stuff. You become more stable at higher speeds in general to a certain extent. And then as those speeds pick up, the more important it is to look down the trail. If you're going slow, it's not as important as if you're going fast because you're, you know, the faster you're hitting this stuff, the more prepared you want to be for it. Yeah, great. Great tip. Now, kind of getting back to like across worlds, but you are a mountain biker, and that's that, that that's where you spend the bulk of your uh, your seasons. What what other uh, goals do you have? You know, kind of not just for this season. Um, you know, in the next couple of years, I know the Oly Olympics are coming up in 2012, and for those listeners that are not familiar with mountain biking, ma making the Olympic mountain biking team seems to be a lot more challenging than than say making the road team in, in the respect that it's. It, it, it seems like it's more complicated, you know. It's like you, you really got to think about how you're gonna get to the races that you need to be at, and how you're gonna get results, but also get enough points. Are the Olympics kind of on your radar, or, or what other goals do you ha might you have? Sure, the Olympics are definitely on my radar. The 2012 uh, mountain bike season, rolling into the 2013 Cyclocross World Championships in Louisville, is a kind of what I'm really shooting for. Um, to make the Olympic team on the mountain bike, it's hard because generally the men only get two slots. On the road, I think maybe they get seven slots or eight slots. So it's just, there's just fewer slots to hand out. So guys are, you know, it's harder to make the team because of it. And they've been revising this election procedure for the past couple Olympics, and they have it down pretty good now where. This year we'll qualify for a long team, which most of the guys who are have the potential to make the actual team will probably make the, the long team no problem. They're taking 10 guys, and then from that long team, they'll base uh, the actual selection for the two-man Olympic team off of the early season World Cups next year. So um, focusing on those races and being good at the World Cup is something that I've always tried to target. Uh, but now, too, the national championships in the U.S., they're becoming more important to the sponsors. The Leadville race has gotten a lot of popularity. And, you know, if you talk to someone who doesn't really know mountain biking, they think Leadville is the world championships in mountain biking, at least in the U.S. Yeah. And you know, normally we race for an hour and 45 minutes on a short loop with two-minute climbs, and we go to Leadville, and it's, six and a half hours with hour-long climbs and you couldn't get much different from what Olympic mountain biking is to what the Leadville 100 race is but it you know it's a race and people people are excited about it and so that also is going to be a goal of mine probably for this year uh the Leadville race so it, it just seems like 
every year there's more and more races that are important and um, there's no shortage of events to focus on. Yeah, and that can be really tough to, to, to go from mainly uh, the mountain bike racing circuit and the shorter races into transition over into a race like Leadville, which is so very different um, from the physiological standpoint, from, from, from you know, trying to prep for it, but also getting through the whole, you know, the whole event. And, and you know, guys coming, say, from the Tour de France, that kind of fitness can, can really help as long as they've got a fair amount of technical skill. They can really do well there, but, and that's generally what we've seen in the last a uh, few years but as far as racing is concerned you, you know when you look at your competitors who who really do you see as as your biggest competitors um both on the u.s circuit and uh you know worldwide well um for the mountain bike on the u.s circuit it's different because different guys some guys race really well domestically while other guys race better internationally just within the U.S. in general. For instance, we have guys like um, Adam Craig who have had great international results. He hasn't had that good a result these past couple of years. Um, but he's been up there quite a bit internationally. And then you have a guy like J.H.K. who has these awesome domestic results. Um, and then in addition to those guys, there's Sam Schultz. He's a younger up-and-coming rider who was uh, – he was one of the most consistent guys internationally, as well as having good domestic results. Um, we've got the Canadian guys, Jeff Kabush and Max Plaxton, good domestically, and Kabush is awesome internationally as well. So there's always those guys um, from North America. And then the depth of the Europeans on the international scene is just incredible. You know, if we have one guy from North America that's up there at one of the World Cups, it's pretty good. Whereas the Euros, you can have this Switzerland alone has, I think, maybe six of the top guys in the UCI ranking. Yeah. In that country, you know, it's, I don't know, the size of New Jersey or something. So internationally, there's just so many good guys. But um, Nino Shooter, the World Cup champ, we got Hermita, who won the World uh, world title this year, Julian Absalon, Barry Stander, Christoph South, are just, I mean, the list is just goes on and on. At those World Cup races, it seems like there's 20 guys that can win the race. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen o- over the past two decades the, 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 the depth of the mountain biking scene and the, um, you know, really the spe- specialization. It, it used to, you, you used to get the sense that, oh, well, you know, any, any really good road rider could just transfer over into mountain biking and they'd be great. And, and I definitely don't think that's the case anymore. It's, it's, um, the guys that are racing mountain bike, it's, they're, they're not necessarily going to be able to transition over to the road and the road guys aren't going to be able to transition over there. And, and every once in a while you might see them meet in the middle and, in a cyclocross race, but the sport has, as a whole has really specialized no pun intended with your uh, title sponsor, <laughs> but it has really specialized in the sense that it's it's tough. I mean, you you really got to pick and choose what um you know what you're gonna uh, excel at, and and you can't really be too too diverse. Now I know that you have done well over the years and in, 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 in a number of different events, and 
And uh, this past year, you won the short track national championships, and then you won the cross country national championships. What what are the differences between those events uh, for 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 people who aren't really familiar with mountain biking? Sure. The, well, the cross country event <clears throat> is around two hours, so it's just under two hours, and it's on a. The course this year was in Granby, Colorado, and it it was had a fairly long climb for what most mountain bike races are now. It was about a 10-minute climb, and the laps took about 20 minutes total. So we were out there for six laps, I believe, whereas the short track takes place on a course that is about two minutes long. It usually has a climb. This course in Granby had a huge climb. Um, it's more fire road, more open, less single track. It's more, it's almost like a crit. And so for the short track, there's generally more group racing, um, and it's fast. It's only 20 minutes long. So we do about 10 to 12 laps of this two-minute circuit, non-technical dirt road type of circuit. And it's so it's more like a crit or a cyclocross race, and the traditional cross-country Olympic-style race is, you know, a, a bit longer lap. It has longer climbs, more single track. And it just spreads out more than a short track race. Okay. I well, you come from a uh, you know you know from a family of racers, and uh, I'm familiar a little bit with your brother. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your brother Troy and and how he compares to Todd Wells? Oh man. I know it's well, a tough question. I I I, I want yeah. to throw that one out there though. <laughs> sure. Well, um, my brother and I are pretty similar. We both started <clears throat> racing with BMX and. I'm almost 10 years older than him, so, you know, when we were younger, I would be babysitting him, and he kind of just, I raced BMX, so he raced BMX, and then I transitioned into mountain biking, and he kind of followed me over, but he wasn't so much into mountain biking. He he was more into cyclocross, and so cyclocross has been more of the sport he focuses on. He does race mountain bike. He has some good results in the mountain bike, but... um cyclocross is more where he's at he's won the u23 u.s title and he's been to the the euro camp the usa or jeff proctor puts on each year where the the uh juniors and u23s some of the elites go over and they'll race for a couple weeks over the christmas season when there's a lot of big cyclocross races in belgium so he focuses more on the uh cyclocross than the mountain bike cool well, I just have a couple other questions, and, and it really relate to, to you as a person. How do you balance your life with, with cycling, and, and really how, what is the hardest part about being, being you? You know, what, what's hard about being Todd Wells and, and, and racing for a living? Sure. Um, you know, racing, it's an incredible job. We get to, well, I've gotten to go all over the world and be fit and active do what I love, kind of make my own schedule, um, be my own boss in a sense. But it, it's also tough. Um, the lifestyle is one thing. You know, people say racing is the easy part but or training is the easy part. I, I don't think it's the easy part because you're out there, you're suffering. You know, it, yeah, it's great to ride your bike, but nobody really, I don't think, enjoys doing intervals or drooling all over themselves, not being able to breathe. Yeah. But that is the that is the thing we we love. We're racers. We like to race our bikes. So in a sense, that is the easy part because it's what we do. We love it. The hard part 
I find for me is the lifestyle. You know, you got to go to bed early. You got to eat right. You got to watch what you eat. You can't sure you're hungry from riding all day, but you have to worry about, you know, I have this event coming up. Am I going to put on too much weight? Your friends all are going out or, you know, they want to go on a trip or I always have friends going to these different places or doing these things. And, you know, a lot of times I have to decline on that because maybe I, I am home, but, you know, I got to be resting. I got to be riding. I got to be training. And so I feel like those are the harder parts because that isn't why we race our bikes so we can go to bed early and uh, not see our friends and blow off all these people, you know, right. not go to family birthday parties or whatever. So I feel like that's hard. And then in addition to that, the travel, while it's great, it's also hard. I think two years ago I was home in Durango for four weeks the whole year between being gone for training, races. The mountain bike season starts in March. The cyclocross season for me ends in December. So my wife luckily gets to travel to quite a few races with me, but she doesn't get to go all the time. So I miss being home with her, with our dog. That type of thing is hard. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I know what you're talking about, and it, it, the 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 travel definitely wears on you. It sounds like you you do have a support system there, so I mean that that's always good because be, be, being able to come back from uh, from the races and being able to be be something other than just you know a mountain biker or a road cyclist or whatever it is, um, just ju- just kind of being able to uh, to switch focus is always um, good to have. Where where do you see yourself ten years from now? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, up until this point, I've always known exactly what I wanted to do, and so I focused all my energies on that. I raced bikes for a while, and then I wanted to go back to school, and I knew I wanted to go back to school, and I focused all my energies on that, and then I wanted to race bikes again. So I poured everything into that. And right now, you know, I'm still very focused on racing bikes, and these next couple of years, I definitely plan on racing. But after that, I'm not sure what I'll do. Um, like I said, I did go back to school. I had a real job, non-cycling industry job. And, I, you know, I wasn't really passionate about it. I could do it. I could do it good enough. But after being a competitive racer and trying to be the best at something, you don't want to do something just to get by. You want to try to be good at whatever you're doing. So I hope that I end up in the industry somehow in cycling, trying to, you know, be the best whatever product developer it might be or marketing guy or salesperson, whatever it is. I, You know, I'm sure it will involve bikes, and I'm, I'm hoping that it's something that I'm passionate about and can try to, you know, strive to be really good at. Great. Well, you know, ju- just to wrap up here, from a uh, sporting background, what wh- what do you see or who do you see um, as the biggest influence on your career? Um, I'd say, without a doubt, Ned Overin. I moved to Durango in 96, kind of the heyday of mountain biking. And um, when I moved there, everybody lived there. John Tomac lived there. Missy Giovi lived there. Julie Furtado, Ned. Uh, Miles Rockwell, all these great people who at the time were dominating the sport of mountain biking. 
And so these were, you know, guys I had only seen in magazines. And so I got there, and Ned was instantly just the nicest guy. He helped me out. He helped get me on Specialized um, a long time ago. And he's always been a great mentor. He, um, you see it, you walk through the venue at a bike race with Ned. Everybody wants to talk to the guy. He takes the time to talk to every single person. When we go out for a ride, it takes, you got to plan an extra hour just to walk from the trailer <laughs> till you get out of the venue area, regardless of how many people are there, because, you know, he just has time for everybody. And I feel like that is the one thing I've really gotten from Ned, you know, just how gracious he is with his time and how he just, he treats everybody, um, you know, he's not above anybody. And I think it shows because he's probably one of the most well-known well-liked mountain bikers ever. Yeah, Ned's one of the guys, uh, he and Tomac were, were really, when I get into cycling, to just you, you couldn't pick up a magazine. You know, it didn't matter if it was uh, Velo News or Winning. I, I mean, those guys were always, always on the magazine covers or in, in the magazine. I mean, just... Um, Ned was just, he, he, he was mountain biking. So that's pretty awesome to be able to, to, uh, you know, to be able to meet him and work with him over the years. I just have one more question and this, uh, this might be another tough question. Can you tell us one thing that people would be very surprised to know about Todd Wells? Hmm. I'm not sure what people would be surprised to know about. I'm a big golfer. <laughs> I love to play golf. Um, I don't. I feel like nowadays with blogs and Twitter and Facebook, everybody knows everything about you. Anyway, yeah. So I I don't feel like I have any any um things that people don't already know about me. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Cool. Well, I want to thank you for. Uh, taking the time out of your schedule on uh, come on the podcast and, and definitely stay in touch. I'll try to stay in touch and, uh, you know, hopefully at the end of the mountain biking season, we can maybe catch up with you and see how things are going. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. All right. Great. Hey folks, that is it for ESP Tipcast 48. Again, I, I want to assure everybody that we are coming back and I'm going to have that new interview with Todd Wells, uh, uh, probably not too many days after this one post. But uh, as always, folks, really uh, appreciate you listening, and I, I definitely want to reach out to everybody. Uh, and if you love this podcast, if you want to see the podcast developed, please take the time to donate, www.espanswers.com. As I indicated at the top of the show, I ran into some unexpected costs. You might also notice that the sound quality is a little bit different. I'm trying to figure out the new garage band and, and, and work that out. But we're also going to be featuring some new music. And as I indicated on the uh, last podcast, we got new tipcasts coming out. And we got some big news for 2018. Uh, going to be doing a new series and looking at bringing on a guest host. Not going to say too much about it because we are still actually working out the details. But I have her. Uh, very excited about coming on. And I, I'm really excited about the series that we're going to be kicking off. So, uh, again, if you are a fan of the podcast, 
Don't forget, you can head on over to the, to the website. You can also email me at esppodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, if you're not thinking ahead, follow behind. Later. Later.